Almighty God, today we are grateful. Grateful for your goodness in creating mothers. You gave them eyes to watch over us and ears to listen to our joys and struggles, our laughter and tears. You gave them legs to run to us when we fall and arms to pick us up again, to hold us as we cry or cradle us while we sleep. You gave them hands to wipe away the tears, to brush the hair from our eyes and dirt from our faces, to hold when we're scared or when we want to dance or when we just need a little help. You gave them mouths to kiss away the pain and voices to encourage and comfort, to pray with us and for us. You gave them minds full of ideas and wisdom and hearts full of love. God, on this Mother's Day, bless our mothers. Give them your strength, peace, and love so they may continue to give it away to all those around them. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we open your word here in these few moments, open our hearts to receive your truth that it would change us into the image of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. On this Mother's Day, we want to say to all you moms, Happy Mother's Day. We celebrate you today because being a mom is no walk in the park. No matter what stage you find yourself in in life, if you've got children, it, it never ends. You're always concerned. You know, they say some studies say that from the time a child is born until they turn 18, that, that a mother it, it does over 18,000 hours of child-generated work. And so I know that like for me, like my, my brother and me, we probably tacked on a couple of extra thousand on top of that, if you know what I mean. Some of y'all are, are tracking with me there. Y'all know that. And so today we, we celebrate mothers. A mother's love, it's like sets the standard of love, like unconditional love. Like if you think about it, like you've heard that saying, he's got a face that only a mother can love. You know, it's like we joke about it, but it's like that unconditional love. You know you're a mother when that when you finally get a babysitter and you're able to go out on a date with your with your man there and you go out for a nice dinner. Ah, oh, finally it's some adult conversation. I'm gonna be able to sit down and the meal and let's have like some dinner and it's like going great and, and man it's just such a special evening. But you know you're a mother when about halfway through the meal you you realize that you've reached across the table and you're cutting your husband's steak into bite-sized pieces for him. Like, chew it up good, honey. You know you're a mother when. As John mentioned earlier, this day is a day of mixed emotions for a lot of people. Maybe your mother wasn't the greatest. Maybe she's already passed on. Maybe you grew up and uh, you've, you're a mother that actually lost a child at one time. And so today is a day of, of some pain in your, your life as you reflect back. Maybe there's some mothers out there today that are flying solo and you're trying to do it all by yourself and nurture your children. And there's other mothers out there that are, that are 
in a blended family situation and you, you've got all these different dynamics and complexities coming together and it's not easy. This morning as we look at mothers, we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. In the book of 1 Samuel, it's basically a book about three great men in Scripture. And the first one is King Saul, who became the first king of Israel. And then we saw his successors later in the book, King David, who the Bible said was a man after God's own heart. But the book, it begins with the story of a woman. It's been said that if God wants to do some great work, he might get a hold of a man. But if he wants to do an incredible, extraordinary work, he gets a hold of a, a woman and he uses her. And we're going to look at a great woman in Scripture this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I want to spend the next few moments showing you a few attributes, a few traits of a great mother. And if you're not a mother today, and I, I, I'm just going to ask you not to just zone out and tune out. Stay with me here because God has something here, some nuggets for every one of us in this passage today. The first truth that we're going to see is that great mothers have great problems. Great mothers have great problems. This needs to be said more because many times we look at Bible characters, don't we? And we, we think, oh man, their, their lives are just perfect. They walk around with these, these glowing halos of holiness. You know, I could never achieve that in my life. But here's the truth is that people are people and, and through the ages, people have problems. And so great mothers have great problems. And that includes the mother of Samuel. Her problem, the first one that she had that we're going to find today is that she had a problem with infertility. Look with me in verse 1. It says, there was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. Okay, say that ten times real fast. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. There's a lot of emotion in that verse there. Hannah had none. For every good Jewish couple wanted to have children, wanted to have many children. It was seen as a blessing if you had a lot of children. And if you didn't have children, it was seen almost as a curse from the Lord. That it was a stigma, an affliction on your life. Listen to verse 11 of what Hannah says. It says, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give me a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And so it, it, she's talking about her condition of her heart. She says, look in, in your servant's misery. So she's afflicted and she's longing to have a child in the culture that she was living there with Elkanah and Penina back here. It, said, it was said that, that having no children could be grounds for a, a divorce. <clears throat> that if a couple had been married for 10 years and the, that the mother couldn't have a son or a daughter, that the, the husband either could divorce her or he was open then to marry uh, again, a second wife. And that's where we find this, this story. Elkanah, he had two wives and that's how we find it here that he had Hannah who was unable to bear children and he had Panina and she was able to bear 
children. And so Hannah's first problem was that she was, she was barren. She had infertility, but her second problem was she had a rival. She had some competition over here. Listen to verse four, it says, when the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. Whoa, here's, here's Hannah. She can't even bear a single child. And here's Penina with all of these sons and daughters. So here's another wife in the equation that, that is bringing this, this other dynamic into her life. The annual feast was coming. And it was to be a time of great rejoicing, but for, not for Hannah. She, it, was, it was a time of, of recoiling for her and of rejection. And it was because of the taunting of her rival, Penina. Listen in verse 6, it says, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And so here's the deal. Not only could Penina have, like, she could have all these children and Hannah could have none. Like, she goes out of her way to provoke Hannah and just to irritate her, as the Bible said. Like, I can just see the scene now. Here comes Penina walking down the street. She's got a couple of kids in tow from Elkanah, her husband. And then she runs across Hannah. And she's like, oh, girl, I'm just so sorry you don't have kids. Maybe one day y'all just keep trying. And then she's like, oh, look at little Billy. He looks just like his daddy. And like she's just needling it in there. Like she's just like, make, like just provoking her. Have you ever been provoked by someone? Hannah had infertility. And it wasn't a problem that just touched people back then. It's something that's in our culture Today, it's, scientists say that, that about seven to eight percent of couples that they can't conceive children and they try and they, and many people have prayed for years that they could have children and we don't know why that God doesn't allow them to have children. Sometimes when, when there's teenagers over here that are together like once and they conceive a child and these, these parents, and like my own parents, they couldn't conceive children and so my brother and I, we were adopted and so that, that you can just see the pain of like her, her heart was breaking that she wanted to have some children. But here's the, the truth that we all need to get today is that, that your value to your Heavenly Father, to God, is not based on your ability to reproduce. That God created you and, and He knows you in intimately and he he has a great plan for your life and maybe he does have a plan for you eventually to to have children but maybe he's got something else for you a great thing that he's calling you to do that's only that what you can fulfill and so we don't know why but we do know this that that biblical characters aren't just these holy people walking around that great mothers do have great problems there was a young mother that was had to run up to Walmart and get some supplies. And so she had a little daughter and loaded up her daughter in the there. And if you've ever had to do that, you know, it's like, uh, I got to take my my daughter to the grocery store. And so they get in there. She puts her the daughter in the cart and they're going through and the daughter's getting impatient. She's grabbing at toys and she's doing this and she's squirming around. And, and, and finally, the mother goes, Ellen, it's going to be OK. Ellen, be patient. Ellen, we won't be here longer, much longer. Ellen, you can do this. Ellen, it's okay. And when they got up to the cash register to check out, this clerk was so impressed with this mother. She said, ma'am, I'm, just, I'm just blown away by your patience with little Ellen. And the mother looked at her and she said, lady, I'm Ellen. 
great mothers often face problems. Jesus never said we would have a problem-free life. We're in, the, in this weird situation and time of challenges now. But he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. He's going to be with us every step of the way. And the second trait that we're going to notice this morning about mothers, great mothers, is that great mothers keep great priorities. Hannah kept great priorities in her relationships, and the first one was with her God. Let's look what scripture says here in verse 9 in the story. It says, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair at the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Verse 12 says, and she kept on praying to the Lord. And Eli observed her mouth, and Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice wasn't being heard. And so Eli thought that she was drunk, and he said, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. And so here's Eli. He's in the temple. He's like, what is this lady doing? He's like, you know, that encouraging priest, like, Put it up. What are you doing? And she's like, no, wait a second. That's not. And look what she says here in verse 15. Not so, my Lord, she replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant to be a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Here's a picture of Hannah, a, a, a mother on her knees with hot tears mixed with heartfelt prayers. Maybe you've found yourself there in your life where you just are pouring out your sorrows before the Lord. And I love in verse 12, this phrase that says, she kept on praying. It wasn't just a one-time thing. She kept on praying. She realized this truth that many times when, when we reach the end of ourselves, we come to the end of our, our own strength. It's at that turning point that we realize that his grace is sufficient for me. She kept on praying. And in verse 18, it says, when she left, her face was no longer downcast. She entered over here sad, but she left glad. She entered with sorrow, but she left with the peace that passes all understanding and all understanding the power of prayer she had a great depth in her her life and her relationship with her lord this was going to be a great blessing for samuel to have a praying mother you know if you want to change the world this if you want to change this community let's get some mothers to start praying let's get a group of mothers to meet together and start praying and see what god's going to do abraham lincoln he even noticed the power of his mother's prayer and he said this no one is poor who has a godly mother i've never forgotten the prayers of my mother she had a great relationship and priority with her God. And the next thing, she had a priority also with her family. Let's look at verse 4. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Panina and all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave what? A double portion because why? He loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 8. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah... Why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you so downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? 
Okay, now, I don't know if that last phrase was like real helpful there. Can you, can you hear the bravado there? He's like, come on, baby, you got me. Like, what's better than that? I'm better than 10 kids over here. And she's like, okay, whatever. But it says that he loved her. There was an understanding between the two of them, and he loved her, even though she couldn't bear. He gave her a double portion as a blessing to her because they loved each other and they understood each other. You know, one of the greatest gifts you can give to your kids as parents is to model love as a couple. You know, psychologists say that one of the most important things uh, that young parents can do with young kids is to sit on the couch together at a certain period of time and have a couch time where mommy and dad are going to sit here. And the kids, if you watch them playing, they will stop and they will look and they'll notice and they'll, they'll take note of like the way that mom and dad are interacting together. There was a grandmother who went over to babysit her granddaughter while mom and dad were downstairs hosting a dinner party. And so the grandmother went upstairs to tuck the granddaughter in and they, they were right there saying their prayers and the, the, the granddaughter goes, mommy and daddy are hosting some very important people downstairs tonight. And the grandmother said, well, how do you know that? And the little girl goes, listen, mama's laughing at every one of daddy's jokes. She loved her husband and they they were together no matter what they they stood together and they loved each other she had a priority for her God but she had a priority for her husband and her family and lastly she had a priority for her son and you go wait a second I thought she was barren how could she have a son let's look at what the Bible says in this miracle that God does in verse 19 it says early the next morning they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah and the Lord remember her and so in the course of time Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son she named him Samuel saying because I asked the Lord for him the name Samuel actually is translated in the Hebrew God hears in that beautiful God heard her prayer and so God granted her this son that she had prayed for and then she dedicated her life there to to raising him up and I, I talk a lot to to some mothers who that share with me you know like there was times when I got asked to do so many things but I had to kind of put that on hold or or change my priorities over here so that I can invest right now in this season of my life into my child and that's what she was doing she was making her son a priority the final trait of a great mother we're going to see is that a great mother serves a greater savior. Great mothers, you have a, a great savior. Listen to verse 24. After Samuel was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull and ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. And I prayed for this child, and the Lord granted him to me. And so I asked him for this blessing, and so now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. You know, in that culture... 
like we think of she weaned him as maybe a nursing time here, a short time. But in that culture, it actually implied a longer time, up to seven years at times, when mothers would pour in and dads into their kids' life to shape them spiritually and socially. And, and so Hannah was doing this, and she remembered her vow to, to give Samuel over to the Lord. Because here's the profound truth that she knew, that everything we have is on loan from God. That we are just stewards of what God has put into our lives. And so she held on to Samuel loosely and she said, he's, he's all yours, Lord. Use him. How are you speaking and nurturing the, pe- the kids around you, the young people in your life? Not just your kids, but grandkids, your nieces, nephews. Are you pouring into them? You know, maybe ah, I didn't grow up in that kind of deal. I, I, I'm not familiar with this. My family didn't do that. I believe God is calling you maybe today to a brand new start where you begin in 2020 that you're going to become that example of faith and begin a new tradition in your family. And and I know a lot of times people go, I just I don't I just don't know. I mess this thing up all the time. This parenting. I get angry and I say some some words and I, I don't spend the time that I need to over here and I mess this thing up and I've got so many regrets. I wish I could rewind the clock and go back and, and some change some stuff. But that's where our great Savior comes in and his forgiveness. Listen to Colossians chapter 3. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, listen to this, forgive as the Lord forgave you. When we see that, we think about forgiving other people, but it starts with how the Lord forgave us. And then there's this thing inside of us that that we need to address first. It's like forgiving myself. And sometimes isn't that the hardest thing to do is to start there and to say, I don't know about you, but for years I carried this this shame and this guilt over over sin and mistakes in my life. And I wasted time. And, and I don't want that for you. I want you to know that you can know the, the forgiveness of your Savior. And that you can come into an incredible relationship or restart with him today. And you can begin a brand new chapter in your life. You can become now the example for your family. There was a couple that had a couple of little boys and they wanted to get these boys baptized so they loaded them up one Sunday they put on the little suits and all this and they take them up to church to get them baptized and man and they're up at the, the, the font and everything's going great and the pastors it's all good and it's a big celebration the church is clapping and so then they get in the car to go home and in the back seat little Johnny he just burst into tears he's like, ah! and he's like unconsolable and he's like his mom was looking back Johnny like, why are you crying? What, what's going on? And he goes, it, it was what that, that preacher at the church said. And the mom's like, what did he say? She said, the little boy said, he said, I want you to grow up in a Christian home. He goes, but I want to stay with y'all. He was looking for his parents to set the example, to, to show what it's like to, to live out the faith in a Christian home. And you say, man, I don't know if I can get this right all the time. I'm, I, I, I stumble. And that's the beauty of the gospel is when Jesus says, I come and I step into your weakness with my strength. And so embrace his strength today. He says, I came and I, I died for you. You no longer have to, to live defined by the old, but I'm, I'm creating and doing a new work in your life. You are my son. You are my daughter, mom. And, and I value you so much that I laid down my life 
for you. Mom, I close with this passage of scripture, a great promise in Proverbs chapter 31. It says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Isn't that great? Maybe you want to memorize that this week as you, you spend some time in devotion that a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And so as a staff, as, church, as, a, as a church team here, we want to say to you, happy Mother's Day, Mom. You are a great mom and you have a great Savior and he's calling you to a great legacy of faith. Let's go out and live for his honor and glory. Amen.